0: Winning the downturn with the information is supported by Intel. Across any business, PC users look to IT heroes to save the day. With Intel vPro, IT gets the powers of security, performance, manageability, and stability on a validated PC solution. Intel vPro. Built for business. Welcome to Winning the Downturn, a limited series covering how tech startups and small businesses are adapting to the new economic reality. This year, we've seen companies react to interest rate hikes and slowing consumer demand by laying off staff and pulling back on other spending. This environment has also forced healthy conversations about how businesses should focus and what kind of software they should be using to win during this downturn. My name is Amir Ifrati, Executive Editor at The Information, a subscription technology news publication. And in each episode, I'll be talking with leaders in all kinds of industries, from retail and mobility to healthcare and finance, about how they've navigated prior economic storms and what they're doing to survive the current one. When a company wants to 10x their business, they call Dennis Woodside. Dennis started his career as a lawyer at Munger Tolls, the famous law firm, and after a stint in business consulting, he went to Google. Starting in 2003, he grew its advertising business around the world, and a decade later he led Motorola, the phone maker, when Google owned it. Dennis then turned heads by going to Dropbox and grew that company's storage business by 10 times. More recently, he blew out the wholesale business of Impossible Foods, which makes the plant-based meats you see at your favorite restaurants and grocers. When I called him to talk about how small and medium businesses use technology, I thought I'd be talking to the president of Impossible Foods. Turns out, in a crazy coincidence, he had just accepted a role as president of Freshworks, a software provider for SMBs. So the topic was very much on his mind. We talked about what he's learned from his very career and what
1: he's cooking now. Here's Dennis. This was also at the time when the internet was pretty young, so talking 1998. And so a lot of the work was around, hey, the internet is coming. It's going to transform a bunch of businesses, particularly in media. And how is that going to happen and what's going to happen to big incumbents. How can they compete? Um, so that's how I wound up at Google. And there were probably about a 1,000 people in the company, maybe a little more than that. And a lot of challenges around growth, around uh, how do you globalize a company and take advantage of the fact that Google Search at the time was available everywhere? How do you build a team that can scale that fast? How do you create the supporting infrastructure? By infrastructure, I mean the the data centers to support continued growth in search. Um, and then there were, there were a bunch of projects that were scaling up around mapping, uh, scanning all the books in a bunch of libraries into the index. So there was just a, it was an amazing time. And, and the, the talent at Google was, in retrospect, just just off the charts. So it was a lot of fun.
0: And in essence, the Google advertising machine was powered by small and medium businesses around the world, the kind of long tail. Did you kind of learn a lot about how the rest of the world operates and markets itself in in different areas?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, in many ways, the internet and Google were great levelers for companies. So I remember one, one of my jobs at one point was running a big chunk of the emerging markets around the world. So one of my countries that I was responsible for was Turkey, and I remember there was a there was a travel company in Turkey that just sort of figured out the internet faster than everybody else, created a sort of what the equivalent of an online travel agency faster than everybody else, and built a really big business. And the way that they could get in front of consumers in the UK and other markets that were potentially interested in going to Turkey was all through Google. So we had many, many businesses like that that just were built entirely on top of the internet and then used Google as the primary way of reaching their consumers. And some of those small businesses became very large very quickly. And I think that's one of the fun and empowering things about, about the internet generally and about technology. You can be a relatively small company that can reach a very large audience in a way that was just not possible uh, years ago. And that just has continued to this day. And then kind of at a left field, it seemed
0: you were put in charge of Motorola Mobility, the smartphone maker that Google suddenly bought out of nowhere and shocked the world. And it seemed for the first time in a while, there were a lot more limitations placed on what you could do to run that business just a lot more constrained given the margin structure and the, the limitations that, that Google had and kind of investing it, in it while also trying to grow the rest of the Android ecosystem and all the other smartphone makers that were using Google software. Were there any kind of challenges of note to, to speak of during that period?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a really big contrast from Google. If you think about Google, Google was what we would call a, a blue ocean play, right? This was a clear innovator first to market had a product that was completely differentiated. And the the challenge on, let's say, the sales side was educating your customer in what it could do for them. They had never seen anything like it. The pricing was different than anything else. So that's the that's the go-to-market and sales challenge. Whereas at Motorola, we were competing in a very red market. We acquired Motorola in 2012. The smartphone revolution was well underway, so you have to think very differently about how you're going to grow. You have to be really focused on who your consumer is and how does your product fit that consumer. So a very different set of challenges requiring different set of skills altogether.
0: Given that you started to understand what it was like to certainly sell enterprise software, but also to buy enterprise software, do you feel like you have advice that you can share um, when it comes to productivity apps, I realize every company has different, different needs. But um, you know, if you were running a, a much smaller company, how would you approach buying productivity apps today?
1: Well, it's definitely true that virtually every company in the world is either using Microsoft at this point or Google for core email and a handful potentially of other productivity applications. That said, if you're a retailer, there are big parts of your business that are absolutely critical to get right. What is your overall platform for managing your inventory? How do you ensure that you provide excellent customer support to your consumers? How do you manage returns? Like all of these things are incredibly important and they're all, uh, there are software providers that are including Freshworks that are playing in all of those areas. So there's always a ton of choices, and the big platform providers typically are not providing answers, certainly not for SMBs, but usually for for most most businesses. So I think what you're seeing, and you're seeing this with SaaS generally, there are many players that are offering software as a service now that are addressing the needs of these smaller businesses. And in the past, the common wisdom was, hey, you build software for the enterprise because that's where the money is. But I think what companies like Freshworks and Shopify are proving is actually there's a massive market because every business now is digital. And the the pandemic did accelerate that shift to making even the smallest retailer think about digital as a channel. Uh, All of these retailers now are realizing they need tools. They need to be able to communicate with their customers. They need a platform on which to sell their products. And that's leading to the rise of, of companies like Freshworks
0: getting back to your career at a certain point you you jumped to another company that had ties to Google or at least Google wanted to acquire them which is impossible foods what was that experience like and and what do you think you learned trying to scale up that company to where it could
1: maybe go public in the near future yeah i think i think with impossible you know the things that i've always been attracted to are founders with very big visions so when i first met larry i was blown away by just his his notion of how big search could be so the challenge there was, was taking a good product, turning it into many good products, and then scaling that globally. The difference is, you know, in tech, you don't really think as much about your supply chain unless you're in in retail. Many tech companies use Amazon Web Services or, or GCP as its supply chain, so to speak. And you're, you're, it's not that hard to distribute bits. Distribution is free. In food, it's all different, right? You have to worry about manufacturing. You have to worry about distribution. You have to worry about kind of, Issues along the way. The supply chain challenges during COVID were off the charts. We had uh, labor issues, uh, not in our factories, but in uh, in trucking industries and so forth. That can get in the way of selling your product. So, very different set of challenges, but some similarities in that you're trying to you're trying to change the market. You're trying to change behavior. You're trying to change consumers' uh, attitudes towards something that they've been used to all their lives. And that, in, in some ways, is a very classic technology challenge. How do you cross that chasm between the niche user that kind of finds your product early and really become mass? And in the time that I was there, we, we went from no retail distribution to 25,000 stores and available in Walmart and Trader Joe's and Costco and all the rest. And so they're very much on their way towards becoming more and more mainstream. I think the question is, how big is that market? Ultimately, no one really knows. But I think there's going to be years and years of innovation in food because we just don't have enough land to support seven plus billion people who are, in general, getting wealthier, in general, want to consume more protein. There's not enough land to support the cows. So, so something's going to change. And there's a whole environmental impact issue that is massive in that industry that moving to a plant-based meat can dramatically help. So that was, that was a very different journey, I would say, and learned a ton along the way.
0: A reminder that today's episode is supported by Intel. Across any business, PC users look to IT heroes to save the day. With Intel vPro, IT gets the powers of security, performance, manageability, and stability on a validated PC solution. Intel vPro, built for business. No product or component can be absolutely secure. Your costs and results may vary. Obviously now we're, we're entering this or we have been in this challenging economic period. And it seems like that is gonna continue for the foreseeable future with higher interest rates and difficult fundraising conditions and so on. Even at Google, a place that's, I mean, this is a cash machine uh, to end all cash machines. And even they are having to make some significant adjustments. So, you know, everyone else obviously had to do that as well. What can you say to all of the business owners or founders or CEOs out there who are in this position now where they also have to think about cutting costs?
1: Well, I think every time we wind up in these kinds of conditions, it's actually an opportunity to sharpen The blade a bit and really get focused on what matters. You know, I remember seeing this at Google in 2009. You forget, Google's stock price went from like 750 bucks to 150 bucks and growth went from 40% year over year to zero. So everybody can be affected by these kinds of downturns. And we don't even know what this one's going to look like yet because we're still in a world where unemployment's like under 4% and things are good. And often when things are all going well, companies forget to prioritize. And uh, now is the time that you really need to prioritize. What matters? What's going to drive the business forward? What investments do we need to continue making because they're going to pay off in five or ten years? What investments should we stop making because we haven't proven that we're making progress and something else has become more important? Often projects get funded and they just keep getting funded, <laughs> you know, over time because it's hard to kill projects. No one wants to. No one wants to stop something that employees have maybe spent a year, two years, four years working on. But now's really the time to make those hard decisions and figure out what matters, what doesn't matter, how do you get more efficient? And I've always said, look, at this point in time, you need to care more about the people in the building and make sure that the people who are in the building today can grow and thrive than you do about hiring more people. Like when you're in a kind of an easy fundraising environment, it's all about growth. Everybody's about, well, you know, hey, you know, we're growing. We hired 20% more people in the last year. You kind of have to get out of that mindset and think about how do you enable the people you have to be more productive. And that goes back to automation and thinking about thinking about how do you automate away tasks that are not necessary. That goes back to prioritizing and making sure those people are working on the things that are, are really going to have an impact over the long run. I think it's actually very healthy for, uh, for business to go through this every now and then.
0: Do you feel like it's also a time to make a lot of software upgrades? It's not again, the easiest area for a lot of businesses if they don't have like a big engineering team or even in-house engineers. How do you approach that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a time when you look for value. So one of the products that we have at Freshworks is a customer support software suite that allows you to automate the interactions that you have with customers. And a big trend in that world is you don't need to answer all questions with people. A lot of questions you get repetitively and they're better answered by machines, by bots. And so you can invest in software like Freshworks and automate away a a number of customer interactions so you can keep your people focused on the harder to solve problems that machines currently can't solve and you can make your people more productive. So investments in software that make people more productive is something absolutely to look at. And then the other thing is to think about value. There are decisions that potentially companies made five years ago and they're not, they may not be getting the value out of those investments that they made. The software might not do what they thought it would do or it just simply might be too expensive relative to what's available today. And again we're getting lots of companies coming to us saying, "Hey, I went, you know, I bought Zendesk or Service Cloud 5 years ago. I never really got the full value out of it. Tell me what you can do for us." So, I think it's always a good time to evaluate your investments for productivity. Are they paying off in the way that you expected it to? But we're seeing more and more of that now as IT departments in particular evaluate their overall budgets.
0: We did a survey of our subscribers a lot of them, SMBs, or at least working with SMBs, talking about what kinds of, of areas these businesses are, are good at and not good at in, in making use of software. When it comes to, let's say, analytics software, things that help you understand the performance of your of your business, just over the course of your career, have there been any specific products recent or, or earlier that that you were particularly impressed with that you kind of evangelize when you get the chance?
1: Oh, that's a that's a tough one. I um I think it's not necessarily that there's any one product that I would point to to say, "Hey, that's the magic solution." You don't generally see that. I think the main the 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 companies that have a mindset about trying to create systems that are systems of record for information that matters, that is a huge advantage rather than relying on spreadsheets for everything that you do. So, at impossible, that was a big push. How do we get everything into a system because the more information we have in systems, the more accurate the data is. We'll make better decisions. You need less people to pull data from one source to another. A lot of small businesses suffer from this, right? They're working on spreadsheets, which inherently are hard to scale. And when they get to a certain size, that just does not work anymore. You need to. You need to have a financial system. You need to have some sort of CRM, right? You need to have some sort of customer support suite of some sort. Uh, and so there's a whole class of companies, including us, that are focused on on solving those kinds of problems.
0: And lastly, on security. There are obviously various security products out there a lot. Um, Some are about endpoints and devices. Others are about cloud security. How do you suggest that business owners make those kinds of choices on buying security products? Because that really does seem to be on the minds of a lot of people, certainly that I talk to.
1: Yeah, I mean, just going back to your small business point, I think the hardest The businesses that are in the most challenging position are those companies with, let's say, 50 people, where they probably have a lot of information that's valuable and that if it got out of the company would be a problem. They're probably capturing things like credit card information and so forth. They are probably not big enough to have a chief security officer who is just 100% focused on security. And they probably have an IT department of four or five people, and those people might be part-time IT and part-time something else, right? Right. So that's, that, I think those are the companies that have the biggest challenge. Now, typically, they're not necessarily the prime target because the payoff for the perpetrator is lower, but it's still still challenging. And there are lots of resources out there that, that can help you. you know, Google has a really good uh, program where they have sort of a security check if you're on their suite of products that can help you secure your environment. From things like phishing and so forth. But you you definitely want to be thinking security in whatever software you're bringing into your company. And really looking for those providers that put security first, that are very clear about their security standards, that meet current standards around data protection, encryption, all those things. Super important. But I think those companies, it's still really tough because they just don't have the dedicated experts that can just make sure the company is truly secure. And there you have to rely on your vendors and, and go with players that are reputable and have made the investments on your behalf into security. Any that come to mind? Well, I would say well i certainly say Freshworks. We've we've spent, you know, we have over eighteen hundred engineers that is just focused on the security of our products and we work with partners that are just focused on security as well. Uh, you know, Dropbox, we spent a huge amount of time on security, encryption, encryption at rest, encryption in transit, all those things. So those are two companies that jumped to mind.
0: All right, well, thank you for walking us through your your career and, and talking about the technologies that you've used and, you know, you're, you're fresh into your Freshworks tenure, but good luck, uh, good luck in this period
1: and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Amir. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to Winning the Downturn, brought to you by The Information and supported by Intel. Stay tuned for a Spotlight segment with Kate Porter, an Intel Senior Director. Can you talk a little bit more about this vPro offering and how you actually implement it, what it takes to actually get things going for businesses that are picking it up?
2: The great thing about Intel vPro PCs is that the users get a benefit on day one. It's got a tremendous amount of intelligence built into the device itself that allows business workloads to be run on the right part of the CPU core without you even having to think about it. So even if you don't do anything additional on your PC other than you open it up and start using it, you're getting better performance, better productivity. That intelligence extends to wireless connections. So in Intel V Pro PCs, there's an intelligent engine that allows you to automatically prioritize the applications that are streaming wirelessly so that you have smoother video conferencing experiences. Um, In this current workforce that's distributed and hybrid and remote, that is just incredibly valuable. But it goes further because small businesses, as they grow, they find that their need for IT also grows. And so beyond the built-in advantages with Intel vPro PCs, It also allows IT staff, whether that's in-house staff or folks that are outsourced support to provide PC support to their teams, they now have tools that allow them to remotely provide desk side support as opposed to physical desk side support. And so that means that employees have the confidence that if they run into an issue with their device, even if the operating system is non-functioning, They can have someone remotely troubleshoot that for them. They don't have to actually physically bring in that device. That also extends to a security type of environment. I'm really passionate about making sure that your software and your operating system and your hardware drivers, they're all up to date. And the fact that IT can actually have that remote management experience with those devices allows you to make sure that those security updates are regularly taking place. Even if your employees have their devices at home, you can especially do that in off hours. So an Intel vPro-based PC gives you that confidence of the built-in productivity, some built-in security layers, and it also gives your IT staff, whether it's in-house or outsourced, some additional tools as your business is growing to support your employees in their uptime and keeping your devices secure.
0: Winning the Downturn is produced by Studio Pod Media. Our producer is Sterling Shore. Our show coordinator is Nicole Genova. And our executive producer is TJ Bonaventura. Special thanks to John Brierley and Julie Kerner from The Information. My name is Amir Efrati. See you next time.